Welcome to FraserCast, a place where we discuss all things autism, mental health, and special needs. I'm your host, Dave Fettig. We'd like to thank our sponsor today, Central Roofing Company. Central to commercial roofing and exterior building repair services across Minnesota since 1929. Today we're talking with Gina Gibson. Gina has a master's degree in occupational therapy and has recently extended her role from occupational therapy to Fraser Sensory Inclusion Specialist. Gina collaborates with organizations in the community to make experiences more positive for individuals with sensory needs. She has partnered with arts organizations, sports teams, dental offices, hair salons, and a variety of other organizations through Fraser's Sensory Certification Program. Welcome, Gina. Thank you for having me. Let's begin at the beginning, and please tell us what is sensory sensitivity. So sensory sensitivity includes both hyposensitive and hypersensitive responses. So a lot of times when people think about sensory processing needs, they tend to focus a little bit more on the hypersensitive. So those are those really big overreactions to sensory stimuli in the environment. That might look like an individual who hears a loud sound and has a really big reaction like covering their ears, screaming, or running away. We also need to remember the hyposensitive responses, which means that the individual feels the sensory input as smaller or less intense than the rest of us typically perceive it, so it might not register a response at all. That can look like someone saying your name, and that input doesn't feel big enough to them, so they might not respond to their name because they're picking up on so much other input in the environment at that time that hearing your voice isn't an intense enough amount of input for them to register a response. That sounds like it would be difficult to create a space that would respond to each child's needs in this case. Uh, Describe for us how you create a space that works for both hyper and hyposensitive yeah, you're right. So thinking about our sensory systems, we a lot of times in school you learn about the five different senses, but we actually in OT school we learn about eight senses. So you have your sense of sight, sound, touch, taste, and smell. You also have your sense of proprioception, so that is your body awareness. It's your ability to know where you are in relation to the things around you, where your hand is in relation to where your shoulder is, where your feet are in relation to where your head is, Um, and it allows you to regulate the amount of control or pressure that you're using when you're holding on to things. So if you're holding a spoon to feed yourself, you need to hold it at just the right uh, amount of firmness, otherwise you might drop the spoon and not be able to use it effectively. We also have our vestibular sense, so that's your sense of movement in response to gravity. So that's activated through spinning, through rocking back and forth, through jumping, through running, anything where your body is moving in different planes of motion. Your last one is interoception. So that's your sense of everything that's happening internally inside of your body. Am I tired? Am I hungry? Do I need to use the bathroom? Am I nervous and my heart's beating really fast and I'm breathing a little bit faster? So thinking about all of those eight senses, you can be hypersensitive in some, hyposensitive in others. Maybe some of them you have a typical uh, response to that type of sensory input. So when we're thinking about making modifications to business practices and to events, you're right, it's very challenging 
challenging to meet all of the needs of everyone's different sensory systems across those eight senses. So what we do is we try to look for trends and patterns, the most common difficulties with that sensory input, make those modifications, and then leave room for people to make their own, uh, bring in their own sensory tools to meet their needs if they are a little bit needing a little bit more support. So you further complicated things for me when I heard when I heard your description. Thank you. That was very nice. So not only could we have hyper and hyposensitive individuals, but I myself could be both at the same time, depending yes. on the sense that I'm experiencing or using. Yeah. So if I'm, uh, can you maybe describe a particular, not by name, but a business or type of uh, uh, space that you would design for a, a business or other sort of institution and how it might work and how it might change or be adapted to depending on what student or what uh, patient came in. Sure. So um, there's kind of two different things that are currently happening. Some businesses and organizations are putting on specific sensory-friendly events. So that might look like one day that is a little bit different than what their typical business practices look like. So there might be additional volunteer support. There might be modifications to the experience like decreasing sound levels, um, taking out any flashing or strobing lights, maybe setting up a calming area or a take-a-break space that has additional sensory tools if someone's needing to remove themselves from the environment for a little while. Um, there's also businesses that are looking to incorporate this inclusive programming into their regular business practices. So they might have a more permanent take-a-break space they might not be able to make the environmental modifications like decreasing the sound um, every single day, but they have additional sensory tools in place. Like they might have a sensory kit that has noise reducing headphones that are available to anyone if they're needing to reduce the sound of the environment in order to have a positive experience. So let's back up and think about how Fraser then works with businesses and other organizations. And I suppose you wish there were a thousand or 10,000 genas so that everyone could have someone working with them closely, but obviously that's not the case. So do you, does Fraser try to reach out to address certain needs that say uh, children have, that have sensory sensitivity, you know, more typically experienced say dentist offices and other places? Uh, or do you have a uh, uh, other businesses proactively coming to you? I would say it's definitely both. Um, the dental office has always been an area of passion of mine. Um, in grad school, I did my thesis project on kids with autism going to the dentist because it is a concern that we have parents bring to us so often that their child has a hard time with daily toothbrushing at home. So then going to the dentist seems practically impossible to them. So that's something that I have definitely been really passionate about and would love to continue and expand upon. But it does seem like a lot of businesses are reaching out to us, whether they've heard about our sensory certification program from past experiences or interactions with organizations who have gone through the program, or they might have uh, someone on their staff has a child who's served by Fraser, so they're familiar with our business practices and reach out to us to see if we are able to help them make these accommodations. So you've described this process in a general sort of way. How about telling us a story about a particular business? Maybe it's a dental office uh, that came to Fraser for help and, and what you did in particular uh, to design their business or to make things work. 
So when I, whenever someone contacts me and is looking for some additional training or support, I always want to go and do an observation first. So the first dental office that I trained, I went and observed for about three hours and just saw everything that they're currently doing so that I could use that in very specific examples in the training that followed. So then I could say, these are the things that you're already doing well, and here are some things that I can suggest that you add to be able to take it to that next level and make things even a little bit better. What's the advantage, if, if I'm a business, in working with Fraser, for example? What does Fraser bring to me that, say, I couldn't get? I'm going to oversimplify this just for an example. If I do some Googling, I want to make my business on a, every other Friday, it's going to be really locked into sensory-sensitive children. Um, why can't I do that on my own? Why should I work with a Fraser? So Fraser has so much experience working with such a wide variety of clients and people. We serve infants up through adults and seniors, so we really have experience across the lifespan, which makes us unique to a lot of other organizations that really just hone in on a specific age group. Um, versus just Googling things, I think having that real life experience and seeing what these sensory needs look like and the strategies that are helpful for them in, in a hands-on, real-life way is going to be much better than just Googling. I think if you Google things, you're really going to focus just on those hypersensitive responses and really miss out on a group of individuals, which is a large group of individuals who have those hyposensitive needs. What's been the reaction of parents, oh, number one? And, and secondly, regarding parents, have parents been advocating for these types of services or changes in, 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 the, in the business sector? Yeah, definitely. So parents are really great about seeing opportunities, especially within the schools that their child attends. Like maybe there's an area of the school where they could build a sensory hallway. So then a parent could maybe connect me to someone at the school that has the authority to make that decision to add something. So yeah, parents are really great. Um, it's been awesome to see Fraser families get out into the community more and have these experiences that maybe they weren't getting to have before and to have the experiences as a whole family rather than sending one parent out to the community to have an experience with the child with without special needs while the other parents stayed home with the child with special needs. So we're hoping that these whole family experiences that maybe a lot of the rest of us take for granted are now becoming more part of the norm for the families with special needs. In terms of the businesses, though, of course, businesses react to incentives. They have to worry about the bottom line, and every time they make a change, it could be a cost. Um, what are you hearing from businesses in terms of the impact on their business, I mean, their ability to open their doors to you know a broader range of clients, if you will. I don't want to put everything down to the bottom line, but of course, it isn't part about the bottom line for businesses. What, what are you hearing from them? Well, ultimately, these opportunities are getting more people in the door and more people build more revenue for businesses. So adding in this inclusive programming, a lot of times when we put on sensory-friendly events, it's a good opportunity for families with special needs and without special needs to all go out and have these experiences together. So you're not saying that people who typically attend these performances are not welcome and it's only for families with special needs, but it's really a way to increase and get more people in the door from what might be happening in the past. It strikes me that these uh, the idea of hypersensitive and hyposensitive uh, uh, patients, children, people, uh, that most people, most humans react in some way 
uh, hyper or hypo to various stimuli. So uh, uh, what can businesses do while they're waiting to get together with Fraser? Or what, what are good business practices, generally speaking, that maybe just sort of go beyond uh, an intentioned program with Fraser that businesses should consider doing? Yeah, you make a really great point. Um, it's always funny when I'm doing trainings and I start talking about some examples of hypersensitive and hyposensitive reactions, and I'll see people kind of start looking around the room thinking, is she talking about me? Because you're right, everyone does have specific things that they're either hypersensitive or hyposensitive to. When it starts to become more of a, an issue or a challenge is when that sensory need is so large that it's impacting daily life. So that's when those additional accommodations are more helpful. I would say one thing that all businesses can do is if they have any sort of accommodations that they offer, even if it's as simple as we are able to rent out noise-reducing headphones to you during this experience, make sure that's included on an accessibility page on the website, um, anything else that they offer. So a lot of websites include the accommodations that fall under the ADA, so if they have wheelchair ramps and things like that, including any sort of sensory processing accessibility in that information as well is going to let people know ahead of time if they're going to feel supported enough to be able to try out your business practice. That's good advice. So you're an occupational therapist. What do you bring to sensory sensitivity that you otherwise might not because you're an occupational therapist and by extension, the benefit of using Fraser uh, for this type of service? So occupational therapists have kind of been considered the experts in the realm of sensory processing. So a lot of the continuing education courses that we take beyond our grad school master's programs could be in sensory processing. So it's something that we treat with the clients that come to see us, and then that knowledge gives us a little bit more expertise to then make these recommendations for changes within community activities. With sensory sensitivity, we're talking about uh, children who have other sorts of needs. They may be on the spectrum or whatever the case may be. Is sensory sensitivity something that a children, a child, excuse me, might experience independent of any other sort of special needs? And if so, uh, do these apply? Does Fraser get involved in these sorts of uh, uh, questions and uh, programs? Yeah. So sensory needs is something that really expands across a wide variety of diagnoses. Um, there's about a 94 to 95% comorbidity rate with autism. So about 95% of people who have autism also have some sort of sensory needs. But in addition to that, um, sensory needs are really common with other diagnoses like ADHD, um, people who were uh, born prematurely, people who have had a history of traumatic experiences. It can happen with people who've had concussions or other traumatic brain injuries. And then there is some evidence to support that sensory needs can exist on their own. This is something that's still being researched. And if they find that sensory processing needs can and do exist without a primary diagnosis, then a more formal sensory processing disorder diagnosis would exist. It's something that a lot of people use the term sensory processing disorder, and that's something that they identify with, and that's fine. It's not an official diagnosis that lives in the Diagnostic Statistic Manual at this time, so it's not something we're able to give out. 
but really anyone who comes to Fraser with any sort of sensory need, whether it is because of a, another diagnosis or it exists on its own, we're definitely able to help them and figure out some strategies to make life a little easier. Great. Well, thank you, Gina. This has been very informative. I want to end by going back to the parents. So if I'm a parent with a child and I suspect or have some sensory needs, sensitivity needs with my child, what do you recommend I do? Do I address individual businesses, schools, and other places that I encounter on a regular basis? Come to Fraser? Uh, is there a mix uh, how, how do I make the world a better place for my child? I think starting with coming to Fraser for an occupational therapy evaluation would be a really great starting point. Um, a lot of times during those evaluations, we have parents fill out questionnaires that really give an idea of what does their child's sensory processing system look like? Where are those areas with the hypersensitivities and where are the areas with the hyposensitivities? And then what areas are strengths for them right now? So then given that information, Maybe they would start some occupational therapy. They might get put on something called a sensory diet, which is a, a specific sensory strategy that is maybe an activity or a tool that's used at certain increments throughout the day to try and uh, decrease some of those bigger reactions to sensory stimuli in the environment. And then with that, going out into the community and maybe researching what sensory-friendly events and businesses are out there and seeing what those accommodations look like. And then anytime there's a business that maybe has room for improvement, either contacting that business directly or referring Fraser to contact that business directly. Our goal is to make the entire Twin Cities metro and state of Minnesota much more inclusive and, and make it a place that our families can really access and thrive and have these uh, whole family experiences. Fantastic. Thank you, Gina. This has been very informative. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to FraserCast, a place where we discuss all things autism, mental health, and special needs. For more information, visit us at www.fraser.org. That's F-R-A-S-E-R.org. Finally, we'd like to once again thank our sponsor, Central Roofing Company.